Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Travels hostess. Tonight we travel to Edinburgh, the capital and historic city in Scotland. Scotland is situated north of England and in an extremely condensed version of historic events, Scotland, England, and Wales all signed the 1707 Act of Union which brought all countries under one single state with one monarch. This group is now known as the United Kingdom of Great Britain. However, before we delve into Edinburgh, I did want to take a moment and mention some famous literary Scotsmen. One is the poet Robert Burns. Another is J.M. Barrie, best known as the author of Peter Pan. And, more importantly, is my personal favorite, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, author of the Sherlock Holmes novels. I am a massive Sherlock Holmes fan, and I love Rizzo Bathorn, Jeremy Brett, and oh yes, Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock. It truly is a treasure to watch each of these men portray the world's finest detective. Now, being honest, Monsieur Pyrot does come in a close second, but I digress. Edinburgh, Scotland. Oh my God. Haunted does not even begin to describe how haunted Edinburgh is. So let's go Scottish Dark. Tonight, we will start at Edinburgh's most iconic landmark, the Edinburgh Castle. Dating back more than 2,000 years, it has been the site of numerous battles and more than 20 sieges. So basically, a lot of men fought to their deaths to defend it. In fact, this castle is the most besieged place in Scotland. And it has also been a witness to numerous executions and murders. Naturally, because of its bloody history, it really comes to no surprise that Edinburgh Castle is said to be the home of a large number of spirits and ghouls. Needless to say... There's been a lot of paranormal activity. In fact, the paranormal activity occurs so frequently that both staff and regular visitors really have no choice but to get used to it. So let's talk about what's going on. Tourists have reported seeing the miserable ghosts of war prisoners from both the French Napoleonic and American Wars as well as Spaniards. These tormented souls still mourn their fates of being tortured in the dungeons. In the Prisoner of War exhibit, at Edinburgh Castle, you can find one of the doors to the vaults that house French, American, and Spanish prisoners. It is heavily scarred with graffiti 
including a carving of the American flag that is thought to be one of its earliest representations. But they are not the only unfortunate souls left to rot and die in the dungeon. In fact, these dungeons also used to hold pirates, witches, and Jacobite prisoners, you know, from the Jacobite Rebellion of 1745. Anywho, there is even a headless drummer seen and heard playing his instrument with the same gusto that he played with while alive. But probably the most famous ghost is the ghost of the Piper Boy. Centuries ago, some tunnels under the castle were discovered, and it was decided by these brave, I mean cowardly, men to send a young boy to explore them. He, being a bagpiper, decided he would play his bagpipe along the way. However, the boy never returned, and his body was never found. So, it is said that he not only still roams the tunnels, but you can hear him playing on his bagpipe. And, sadly, if you are a pet lover, there is also reports of a phantom dog at this castle. Now, other ghostly activity include unexplained knocking sounds, mysterious orbs, sudden and unexplained drops of temperature, disembodied voices, and footsteps, and an unseen entity tugging on the clothes and the hair of guests. Located at the end of the Royal Mile, admission for adults, that would be the ages of 16 to 59, is 17 and a half pounds, concession being 60 years plus, and the unemployed, 14 euro. Children, 5 through 15 is 10 and a half euro, and children under the age of 15 must be accompanied by an adult. Children under 5 are free. Admission prices are subjected to change, and it is highly advisable, especially since COVID, to buy your ticket online. Now, you can get there by bus or the tram links to the city center. By train, the Waverly is Edinburgh's main and most central station. It is a short walk to the castle, but it can be seen from the station's exit, though it is uphill. Or you can walk bike, taxi, or you guessed it, Uber. Again, Uber is available here, but not Lyft. Another haunted place just outside the castle is an unusual one this time. And I'm talking the Prince Street Gardens. Initially, it was a lake called Norlock. The lock was built in the 15th century during the reign of King James II. He was looking to strengthen the castle's defense. And to give you a visual and an unpleasant understanding how this artificial lake was, this lock's water was habitually polluted from the sewage of the city, draining into it and mixing with the fluids coming from the slaughterhouses, all of which was downhill from the old town. During its time as a lock, this lake became a popular spot or suicide attempts, an ideal place to make bodies disappear, and it is where witch ducking would take place. What is witch ducking? Well, basically, it was a means to discover if somebody was guilty of witchcraft. 
It is actually estimated that more than 300 men and women were sentenced to be tried for wizardry and witchcraft, either in the Norlock itself or around its banks. The process was rather barbaric. The victim would be tied from thumb to toe, then dragged down the muddy slope towards the lock and thrown into the water like rats. If they sank and perished, then they were declared free of evil spirits. But if they have the common sense to defy all sense and floated, they were then swiftly scooped up, taken to the to a waiting stake and burned as a means to emancipate their souls from the clutches of the devil. Death, either way, was guaranteed. It was also a popular spot for executions. One of the most gruesome executions involved a Mr. Sinclair and his two sisters. Sinclair and his sisters were accused of incest, and per their conviction, they were sentenced to death in 1628. The story goes that the accused were made to be locked into a chest that had holes drilled in it and then dumped in the lock. Two centuries later, in the spring of 1820, when the workers were busy digging a drain during the creation of the West Prince Street Gardens, a large box containing the remains of three people were discovered deeply embedded in the mud. Chances are, it was them. The 1820s draining of Norlock was actually the second phase of revamping the landscape, as old Edinburgh was looking to expand and create a new city. The first phase happened during the 1770s. So today, the park works like a divider from Old Town to Newtown. Leaving the castle and the gardens behind, we're going to head to a place that I've been wanting to see ever since I've heard about it. The Greyfriars Kirkyard. The Greyfriars Kirkyard is a graveyard designed by Mary Queen of Scots in 1562. Open for business, this graveyard is the final home to a number of famous Scots. We're talking poets, historians, architectures, inventors, and last but not least, the famous Greyfriars Bobby. Just who is this Greyfriars Bobby? Greyfriars Bobby was a Sky Terrier dog who was beloved by the city of Edinburgh because of this precious little mutt standing guard over the grave of his owner, John Gray, for 14 years after his owner's death. Deeply touched by Bobby's devotion, people would provide him with food and shelter, and every afternoon after the cannon shot at 1 p.m., Bobby would show up at a restaurant called Trails Dining Rooms for a decent lunch and then quickly returned to his post at the graveyard. In 1867, Bobby was scooped up and carted off to doggy jail for not having a collar or a license. Lord Provost of Edinburgh was so touched by Bobby's loyalty and story that he personally paid the dog's annual dog license fee and gave Bobby a brass-plated collar with the inscription, Greyfriars Bobby, from the Lord Provost, 1867 license. And when Bobby died on January 14, 1872, 
he was buried in an unsecrated patch of land inside the cemetery. So yes, this graveyard is named after this beloved dedicated dog who apparently is still on duty. That's right. People have reported hearing sounds of disembodied barking, even when they don't see any dogs about. And they also report seeing the ghost of a little dog. Visitors and tourists alike can come and see a statue of Bobby outside the graveyard. He has a dedicated to marker with his statue sitting on it. In fact, People have been known to rub his nose for luck, and if you take a moment and Google pictures of the statue, you will in fact notice this. It is mounted on a granite pylon at the sharp junction of George IV Bridge and Kennelmaker Row. Another awesome fact about this particular graveyard, Miss J.K. Rowling herself got some of the names she used in her books from this very graveyard. That's right, you can actually find the grave of Tom Riddle, a.k.a. he who should not be named. But I think it's safe now, guys. Uh, well, so we'll go with Lord Voldemort. That's right, the very grave that gave Harry Potter and the rest of the world one of the greatest villains is located here, along with Professor McGonagall as a name and Mad-Eye Moody as a name. Also, just a little side note to explain the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery. A graveyard is located next to a church. A cemetery is not. Graveyards also tend to be less tended to and have that creepy creep feel to it, while cemeteries tend to be well manicured and cared for. But that's just a side note for those of us who love cemeteries and graveyards. Anywho, getting back on track. This beloved dog in Harry Potter reference is actually not the reason why I long to see this place. No, not even close. What I want to see and experience if I ever get to Edinburgh is the Mackenzie Poltergeist. That's right. This graveyard has the reputation for being haunted by an asshole poltergeist who has full-on attacked people by scratching them, cutting them, shoving them, giving them bruises, and in some cases, even knocking them down to the ground. So let's talk about the Mackenzie Poltergeist. The hauntings are said to have started in the late 1990s, when a homeless man broke into the tomb of Sir George Mackenzie, looking for some shelter from the harsh Edinburgh winter. But once inside, the guy was like, hmm, I wonder what's in these tombs, and decided to do some grave robbing in the hopes of finding something valuable to sell later. After forcing a number of tombs open inside the mausoleum, the homeless man came upon Mackenzie. Now, legend has it, and honestly, I don't know how much legend is in this legend, but this is the legend, and this is what the legend has it. Just before the homeless guy could pry open the tomb, a sinkhole developed right below him and the homeless man fell into a pit which was filled with the bones of the peasants who were carelessly tossed into a mass grave during the plague. Whether it's true or not, what we do know is that this event triggered the Mackenzie poltergeist. 
Now, just who was this Mackenzie, and why was he an asshole poltergeist in the afterlife? Well, apparently, Mackenzie was a bit of an asshole in life. His life. Let me explain. As I said before, his name is Sir George Mackenzie, and he would go on to earn the nickname Sir George Bloody Mackenzie. He was a barrister. He was the Lord Advocate during the rule of Charles II. Now, King Charles Stuart was like, I have the divine right granted by God, so I'm the head of the Church of Scotland. Well, a group of Scottish Presbyterians, also referred to as Covenators, opposed this idea and was like only Jesus Christ could be the spiritual head of the church. So, in protest, they signed the National Covenant in 1638. Now, obviously opposing the king, got the Covenators rounded up and imprisoned. And, as history would have it, they were sent to the Covenant prison, which prison part was also part of the Greyfriars Kirkyard. Now, we're talking at least 1,200 members of the Scottish Presbyterians, you know, the Covenators, were imprisoned here. During their incarceration, Bloody Mackenzie took great delight in torturing these Covenant members. Guards were allowed to beat them at will. Some members were deported. Others faced starvation and exposure, while some were beheaded, and eventually their heads would decorate the spike gate. As for Mackenzie himself, his mausoleum is large, black like his heart, and because of this, Greyfriar Kirkyard, located in Old Town, is quite possibly the most haunted place in all of Edinburgh. Now, obviously, to hear the horror stories about the poltergeist, it would be best to do a tour. As I have yet to visit Edinburgh, I cannot recommend any. However, if you are brave enough to check out the graveyard on your own, the easiest way to get there from High Street is to turn south on Bank Street, and the Kirkyard is at Bank Street and Kennelmaker Row. Leaving the graveyard, let's head to the vaults. Dum, 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 dum. That's right. The vaults. The vaults are considered to be a truly horrific place. These vaults are one of the creepiest dark corners in Edinburgh. Hidden under the South Bridge after the South Bridge construction in 1788, they represent a labyrinth of ghostly, ghastly chambers. Initially intended to be used as storage for businesses above ground, and a place to conduct legitimate businesses, the vaults began to flood frequently. And I'm not just talking water. Remember Edinburgh's poor draining sewage system? Yeah. So businesses stopped using them for storage, and people began using them for housing. So basically, we're talking slumlords taking advantage of the influx of Irish immigrants fleeing the potato famine. And obviously, being underground, away from the rest of the world, these vaults were ideal for criminals, murders, brothels. And we're talking rape and murder and thievery were a constant issue down in these vaults. But that wasn't the only thing that was happening down here. You see, Edinburgh has always been known for its advance in medical science, especially in the 1800s. 
Now, part of the issue is in order to have that prestige, you need to have the bodies to study and work on. But dead bodies were far and few between. So, this kind of corpse shortage led to some unsavory solutions. One being a black market for cadavers. Yes, a black market for dead bodies. And we're talking buying and trading and selling, selling high, (laughs) buying low. Anywho, one extremely unpleasant and McShady solution was grave robbing and body snatching. Yes, people without morals learning to earn a dirty buck would unearth buried bodies and sell them for profit. To combat this unholy crap, families of the deceased would have to construct iron cages called mort safes over the graves of these loved ones and keep watch for 24 hours until the body could be decomposed enough and be of no use to these grave robbers and be sold to these medical schools. The second issue, of course, was outright murder. You heard correctly. Enter two dodgy blokes named William Burke and William Hare. These unsavory young gentlemen actually would use these vaults as a place to store some of the dead bodies that they would later sell to the medical schools. Now, in the next episode, we're going to go into great detail of how these two guys paid the rent with murder. But in the meantime... We'll just go with these McShady people use the vaults to hide their dirty deeds. Today, however, after centuries of human debauchery and living misery down there, there are a variety of reports of paranormal activities. Of course there is. After all these terrible things that happen, no surprise there. Visitors have heard disembodied voices and have seen full-blown apparitions and different rooms have different experiences along with different entities in them for example the wine vault it is said that the spirit of a young boy named jack still haunts the wine vault another infamous section is the occult chamber this area was used by local occult practitioners for many years the room it is said was used as a sacred space for a number of terrible rituals including possible sacrifices. That's right, sacrifices. There are rumors that a local satanic sect once sacrificed a woman on a mysterious square brick in the middle of the room after torturing her for days. And if you make it to the back of the vaults, there you are likely to encounter Mr. Boots. Mr. Boots is a shabby, tall man who prefers the back section of the vault. He is known to toss stones at passerbyers to get their attention, and visitors have reported the sound of his heavy footsteps falling behind them as they explore the darkened corridors. Now, once again, I've not been to Edinburgh. However, the only way into the vaults is by a tour. So do your reading, read their reviews, check their schedules, see what they offer, and make sure what they offer is what you are looking for. Now, before we close tonight, I want to discuss some haunting hotel options. But first, a shout out to the hauntedexperience.com crew. When I 
did some looking around, doing my hotel, haunted hotel research, I asked for some additional information, and this website was happy to provide it. So thank you to the crew at hauntedexperiences.com. And I do recommend you giving them an opportunity and checking them out. Not only do they offer information on haunted places to stay in Edinburgh, they also offer information on where to stay in haunted places, where to stay, and other cities as well. Now, as I mentioned, the Mackenzie Poltergeist, there is a hotel in Edinburgh that is relatively close to the former home of George Bloody Mackenzie. That's right. We're talking the Radisson Blue Hotel. It not only has a turret and a 16th century castle-looking structure, it is on the Royal Mile, which is located in the heart of the old historic city. Fair warning, though, this area is known for fires. Imagine that, a poltergeist and fires. Can't see the connection there. Uh, I think we can. Anywho, but that is not the only ghostly activity at this hotel. Patrons have heard voices. TVs have turned on and off by themselves, and guests have found items moved about on their own. Located at 80 High Street, Royal Mile, this hotel has 4.5 stars on my bestie, TripAdvisor. But also, double-check for yourself. Remember Paris? Get it? Remember the Alamo? (laughs) Only it was in Paris. Anywho. Now, if real turrets and castles are your thing, then there is the Borthwick Castle. Built nearly 600 years ago in 1430 by Lord Borthwick, the Borthwick Castle is, like the rest of Edinburgh, has seen some McShady situations as well as having a gruesome history. And this combo is the reason that ghostly residents are still hanging around. One famous ghost is Mary Queen of Scots herself. That's right. The Queen. In 1567, Mary and her husband sought refuge here when some Scottish noblemen were hunting them. And these noblemen brought about a thousand men with them. So they surrounded the castle. And Mary, dressed as a page boy, hopped out the window. I don't know if this was the time that she decided to head to England, but eventually she gets there and Elizabeth locks her up for like 16 years. And then she finds out that... Mary was going to try and overthrow her, and then she lost her head. But anyways, I completely digress. It is said that Mary has been seen, ever since she lost her head, to be wandering the halls here. Now, I don't know about you, but seeing the ghost of a queen, I think, is pretty hot damn. Like, that is on my ghostly to-do experience bucket list. Aside from Mary... Other paranormal activity range from disembodied voices, clicking noises, banging noises, light anomalies, ghostly apparitions, and some people have had the feeling of being sick to their stomach and outright nauseous. If you want a specific room for recommendation, consider the Red Room. It has scared so many people over the years that the hotel has called a priest to exercise its lingering spirits. Apparently, There are a few shady and sad stories associated with the Red Room. One legend has it that a young servant girl bore an illegitimate Borthwick son in the room. Both being potentially threats to the channel, they were both killed. Another story associated with this room, in another time, 
The Borthwick family chancellor used this room and kept a safe in this room. Then the Borthwicks discovered that this chancellor was embezzling money from the family coffers. In response, the Borthwicks met him while he was returning home one night and burned him at the stake for his thievery. So it is said that the ghosts of the young servant and the fired, get it, fired <laughs> chancellor still wanders the stony spiral staircases of Borthwick. Now for the castle itself. It has a restaurant at the hotel with high vaulted ceilings and tables lit by candlelight. And if you fall in love with Scotland or the castle and you have a wedding in your future, then yes, this hotel is also a wedding venue. Another stunning castle turned hotel is the Dalhousie Castle's Hotel and Spa. Built in the 13th century, like the Borthwick, this place has a few ghosts hanging about. We'll start with Alexander Ramsay. While fighting against the British, Ramsay pissed off a guy named William Douglas when he captured Roxburgh Castle from the English in 1342. After Ramsay did this, Sir William Douglas tried repeatedly to take the castle back with no luck. As a reward for taking and holding the castle, Sir Alexander was appointed constable of Roxburgh and sheriff of Tivitodel. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Well, that of course didn't sit well with Sir William Douglas. So, Douglas captured Sir Alexander and imprisoned him in the dungeon of Hermitage Castle. Once in the dungeon, Ramsay was left to starve. And legend has it that after he died, his ghost has been seen roaming the halls and the grounds of the Dalois Hotel ever since. Well, obviously it was a castle back then. But still, his ghosts have been seen roaming the halls and the grounds of the Dalois Castle ever since. Another ghost that likes to still play hostess with the mostess is Lady Catherine, also known as the Grey Lady. It is believed that she is the most active ghost of them all, having died in the 1720s from a broken heart and starvation, people have heard her skirts rustling and bustling down the corridors. And they've also heard the creepy sounds of her fingernails scratching against the walls or taping against the doors. And she is often seen around the turrets and in the dungeon of the castle. But these two aren't the only paranormal activity going on. Other paranormal activity include unexplained noises, moving objects, footsteps in the middle of the night, even the people having the sensation of someone tapping them on their shoulder or their hair being pulled. And there has even been sightings of a ghostly butler complete with white gloves moving about the building. In fact, the activity is so prevalent that the hotel even offers ghost tours which is awesome. This hotel also has a restaurant in the dungeon portion of the castle. But if the dungeon is too dungeony for your palate, you can also eat at the Orangery restaurant. I did not make up that word. <laughs> Orangery is actually a more informal restaurant, but it does offer lovely views of the River Esk. And it's a spa. You can 
view their spa menu and get a relaxing treatment while you're being visited by the ghosts. And yes, if you fall in love with the castle, if you fall in love with Scotland and you have a wedding in your future, they do host weddings here as well. Now, one final haunted hotel for the night is the Scotsman's Hotel. Built in 1905, this Edwardian building was formerly the office of Edinburgh's Evening News. You know, the paper. And it comes with its own phantom printer. Yes, the dude who used to do the printing by hand is still printing about, apparently. He is seen in the basement carrying around bits of metal used to print with. And I have to say, a phantom printer is a new phantom to me. Currently receiving 4.5 on my bestie TripAdvisor, it is located at 20 North Bridge. So, (laughs) wow. We've actually covered a lot of Edinburgh, and we are not done. So, like I said earlier, next week, we're going to do a a road trip with the panda uh, (laughs) and discuss William Burke and William Hare and the vault. And then after that, we will do a third and final episode continuing our dark travels and sharing some Scottish tales and some extremely haunted places to eat on our closing episode. But before I leave tonight, I want to remind everybody, the murder in the Rugmore giveaway is still afoot. It's still anybody's game. So if you would like to place an entry, All you need to do is answer the trivia question. As you recall, Murders in the Rue Morgue was written by Edgar Allan Poe. All you need to do is to send me an email at wherethedarkcornersare at gmail.com with the year Poe published Murders at the Rue Morgue and your name and obviously an address. So, that's simple. And it has to be in before November 19th. So you still have some time. But, For right now, this is all I have for tonight. So, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are, or have a specific tourist attraction in mind, send me an email at wherethedarkcornersare at gmail.com. So, until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. (laughs) 